This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. I am really, really excited to have Coach John Fields on this episode of the Earn Your Edge podcast for the last 20 years. Coach Fields has been the coach at University of Texas. And just for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to go through all the accolades because there's a lot of them, but a few of the recent highlights, 2012 National Championship and NCAA Coach of the Year twice in the last six years, which is as high an honor as you can receive in college golf, bunch of Big 12 Coach of the Years and riding the momentum of five straight Big 12 championships. But probably the most notable and I think the, the big reason that I wanted to, to call you coach is to discuss what has been an unassailable record of identifying and developing talent. In just the last few years, you've had Jordan Spieth and Jonathan Vegas, Dylan Fratelli, Bo Hosser, Cody Gribble, Kramer Hickok, Brandon Stone, and now most recently, Scotty Scheffler and Doug Gim. And you've got this unbelievable roster of talent that has gone on to accomplish some big things. So coach, we've got a lot to dig in here and I want to thank you for squeezing in some time for us. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here and I'm very proud of what you and uh, Cameron have done. Cameron has been... uh, a friend and somebody that has, I think, aspired to greatness when I, when I saw him. And of course, I'm speaking of his ability to teach and to communicate with young players, especially. I think a lot of times you see teachers that maybe do well with or try to do well with, with existing players, but it's a lot more fun to watch, watch somebody bring somebody along start to finish and, and it's been amazing to watch what Cameron does. Yeah, and we should mention, I, I thought you were going to brag on me there or something. We should, <laughs> we, should, we, should, we should probably mention that I've known Coach Fields for the last 15 years. When I graduated college, I was an assistant golf professional at the UT Golf Club where I was very green and there was always a, a generous source of, of wisdom and friendship and, and has been for the last 15 years with Coach Fields. So we go way back, right, Coach? We sure do. And I'm proud of what you've done. And I know you're... Uh, continuing to become a a great teacher in your own right. But it's wonderful to be part of the group and Altus. What an incredible group you guys have right now. Yeah. Well, thanks, Coach. And so let's start with there's a lot of of research. There's a lot of effort that goes into trying to be a better identifier of talent, right? Talent ID. It's it's a really important piece in sport performance in a variety of sports, but especially with what you do and you have a proven record of being really really good at it. So, uh, what are the what are the differentiators as you're looking at a younger player and I know that we'll have a lot of younger listeners that will will really uh, they'll perk their ears up and trying to hear your opinion on this, but what are the one, two, or three things that you're looking at when you're trying to decide, well, this, this player has separated himself from a peers and would be a good fit for, for what we do at Texas? Yeah. Number one, an, an old coach told me a long time ago that he recruited winners. So it didn't, it didn't necessarily mean that they had to be out on a national level or a, an international level as a junior golfer winning golf tournaments. But just at any level, have you won golf tournaments? Have you have you separated yourself from the others? So we, we like to see winners. That is for sure. Number one, we want to see kids that have an incredible opportunity to feel confident about themselves. So I look for confidence. I look for winners. I obviously look for success. Sometimes that's a guy that might be a diamond in the rough, but, but when you take 
I mean, if you start asking me about the different guys that we recruited off that list that you just talked about, yeah, you know, whether it's Jordan Spieth or Kramer Hickok or Dylan Fratelli or Brandon Stone or Bo Hostler, Cody Gribble, Jonathan Vegas, I would probably go through a litany of, of different things that I saw with each one of those guys that essentially told me, I don't know exactly why that is, but I feel like I can look at a guy look at his record and think if that guy's going to play for us or not. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. The reality is, is that when you're at Texas and you've been there for 20 years and you have built a perennial powerhouse in college golf, you have your choice of winners. So there's a lot of winners in, on the, in junior golf that, that are wanting to play for Texas. I would say nine times out of 10, when I get a younger player that walks into my office and says, hey, what's your goal? It's usually I want to play for Texas. So there's no shortage of choices there. Can we dig further in? You said confidence, which was a, yeah. a, a good one. That Yeah, well, let's go further. I one of my first recruits in college golf was a guy named Tim Heron, Lumpy on the PGA yeah. Tour, because I did coach 10 years at New Mexico before I came to Texas. And and I, I coached Tim Heron, who played the PGA Tour, Brian Corton, who played the PGA Tour, DJ Brigman, who played the PGA Tour, uh, Doug LaBelle, who paid, played the PGA Tour, and Kent Jones, who's now playing on the Champions Tour, that also played on the PGA Tour, and Sean Murphy, too, that played the PGA Tour. But let's just talk about Tim Heron for just a second. I was fortunate because I was an assistant golf professional in Southern Arizona, and he'd come to play in a, a winter tournament in Phoenix or in the Yuma area, actually, Southern Arizona. And I got paired with him when I was an assistant golf professional. So this was about a year and a half before I was going to be a golf coach that at the time I did not know I was going to be a golf coach. But I could tell you right away that 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 guy was a good player. He was 16 years old, had beautiful rhythm, had the golf club in a great spot at the top of his backswing, released the club incredibly through the golf ball, and had a fantastic grip and setup, and and had incredible speed. Now, you got to think back. Well, that was in the 80s when I saw him. So there was no such thing as track man. Sure. They weren't really testing club head speed at that time or ball spin or smash factor or any, any of those items. But I could tell you with my own eyes that that guy was going to be a great player, period. End right. of story, he was going to be great. And I was right. He won four times on the PGA Tour, made $22 million and and uh, and was New Mexico's first first team All-American ever, ever. Awesome. And, and did it back-to-back years. 1991 and 1992. So we, we, it's just so special to, to see somebody like that. Brian Corton, uh, very unorthodox. He, he's now the assistant golf coach at Texas A&M. But th- here's a guy that's five foot three, but his contact was significant. And I'm talking about when, it, when, it, when his club head struck the ball, you could tell this different sound. This guy is going to be great. Not to mention the fact that he was an uncanny putter and great chipper. And he found his way out on the PGA Tour and he was an All-American for me. But when I heard it and I saw it, I knew. 
Yeah. And, uh, and that's essentially still today kind of true. So let's go the other route there. Cause again, we've got a lot of players that you have to choose for. You're in the, one of the more unique spots to where so many players want to come to you. Are there any red flags? So you've got a guy who's been successful, who has won, and you, you say that's one of your big criteria that's confidence. Or is there ever a red flag as you're recruiting? And I, I kind of try to create a little bit of a cautionary tale for any of, of our younger listeners that are listening that something to be mindful of as far as red flags that would cause a little bit of caution from you as you're on recruiting? There are. You know, I, I, I love the well-rounded type guy. I, you know, obviously, Jordan Spieth is an uh, incredible player and an incredible talent. I'm going to give you an example with him and then take the opposite. Yeah. And that would be the red flag guy. So there was no red flags with Jordan Spieth. Obviously, he'd won two United States Junior Championships. One when we recruited him and he had uh, committed to us. And then he won another one right before he came to school. But he also won multiple times. But what I liked about him is he had played other sports. And he was just a, a, a fine young person, very respectful and had great parents and had great teaching because we knew he was already with Cameron. And we knew he'd played out on a national level and would continue to. We knew that he was highly competitive. But you can tell when you're out there if a guy is just so selfish. And that, that would be a red flag. If a guy was just super selfish into himself and, and, um, and, and really doesn't, in my mind, have respect for the game. Yeah, Because if you don't have respect for other players, then you don't have respect for the game, and that's a problem. But you take a guy like Jordan Spieth, who, has, who always has something nice to say about the people that he just played with. He always has something nice to say about the, the people that are putting the tournament on. He always has something nice to say about the golf course and the people that have worked hard to give him an opportunity to play. And that obviously came from his parents. But the cool thing is, Jordan's mom and dad allowed Jordan to be Jordan. They didn't, in my mind, they weren't living their lives through Jordan. They more often than not would drop him off and let him do his thing. And, you know, they were occupied with his sister and, and, uh, and his other, and his brother. They, they all have different incredible stories. But the point is, is that Jordan was his own man already. And I really liked that because, and so I, and, and he was a team guy. So those are the, the positives. So the, the negatives would be, and, and I've had this on my golf team where a guy's really selfish, very hard to, to be a team member. Maybe the parents are re- really, really, really involved. Is there a general pattern of the player-parent relationship that you've been able to identify that exists in the households where these really amazing performers are coming from because you have a, a long list of amazing performers to, to kind of draw from your experience on. Yeah, it seems like those relationships have a tendency to just explode at some point in time, sadly. I'm talking about where the the parent might be living his life or her life through the child and being very competitive for the child, not right. not not giving them opportunity, but but actually living the ups and downs of their game and and uh, and living uh, their success. It seems like that just at some point in time kind of explodes. 
I've been lucky because I've been around several major champions now, Jordan being one of them. But one of the blessings about being here at Texas is you're around Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw. And I've been around Justin Leonard and I've been around Mark Brooks. And I know enough to know that all of their parents were the type of parents that created the opportunity for them, you know, really gave them the opportunity to be competitive, helped them kind of channel their competitiveness and then also digest their tournaments. But they didn't live it. They had their own lives. They they were preoccupied with living their own lives. I, I see a lot of times today on the AJGA tour, you'll see parents that are out on the driving range with their son or daughter and that, that uh, they're eating dinner with them. And they're, you know, they're, every little decision they make is a, a decision that they're making. And when you hear them talk about golf, it's we did this and we did that. And I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> the player swings the golf club. The player is the one that makes the decisions. There's no we in this situation. Right. You know, bottom line. And th- and that's when I start thinking about a caddy player relationship, too. It's still all about the player. The caddy can kind of enhance. But to me, that's where those red flags are. You see it every once in a while. And sure. If I had to deal with a situation like that, I think we would just counsel the parent and just tell them, you know, it's time to, to separate. And sometimes it's just really hard for them to do that. But it's it's a function of it's going to happen sometime. I promise you, because it's not going out on the PGA Tour for very long. Yeah. So that kind of covers the the recruiting role. And you said that that was your big, you know, recruiting's number one, two, and three. But I know that you're being a little bit humble there because the reality is, is that you've had these great players come in and a lot of them have gotten better during their time. So you've, you've nurtured kind of, or facilitated this environment that has made players better. I know that when we talk to to Bo and Kramer recently on the podcast, they both spoke to how important their time at Texas was to their development. And, you know, they're kind of both ends of the spectrum. One was a a blue chip top recruit who was winning college events. And the other one was, was spending his time growing and developing to, you know, fight his way for a spot. But both are now experiencing incredible success now. Are there a set of daily actions that you've witnessed or identified that are critical to their time of improvement at Texas? Are there actions that you saw? Well, all the guys that have spent their time productively and getting better during their college golf career did these things? Well, first of all, most of these guys that I recruit are better golfers than I ever was. That's just a fact. Sure. Um, I'd like to think that I was a good college golfer. I played at New Mexico. I went through the tour school at, in Europe and played one year. My wife was my caddy at that point, and we spent a lot more money than we made. <laughs> and that's why I got in the business of golf. But I have a lot of respect for the game. I have a lot of respect for the players that play it. And I have a lot of respect for the players that we recruit. And I recognize that their, their success on a normal basis is a lot better than, than I ever was. Now, I've been around enough good players to know a few different things. One, when I played college golf, I played for a coach that, that was young in his development. So that was Dwayne Knight at New Mexico. Now he's at UNLV and he is a great coach. But when we, when myself and Tommy Armour III and Kurt Byram and Tom Byram were being coached by Dwayne, a lot of us had particular frustrations because 
he liked to have called practices at the time. I know he doesn't do this anymore, but he liked to have called practices and he liked to, to do uh, things kind of as a group. And those three players that I just named are all successful tour players that have won on the PGA tour. They hated that because they might come out on a daily basis and want to do one thing and be told to do another. And it was a real frustration. And when you have an ego that's strong enough to go out on the PGA tour, you have a confidence about you that tells you that what you're about to do is going to make you better. And if you believe that it's going to make you better, then it's going to make you better. That's all there is to it. And if you're told that you can't do that today, it's going to be frustrating. So long story short, when I started coaching college golf, I decided that I wanted to treat my guys the way that I would have liked to have been treated and that I was going to treat my guys as professionals. I was going to give them the opportunity to be who they were, to do the things they wanted, to help them. And if I, if we identify things that we think are going to make them better, then we'll point those things out and then we'll visit with their teachers and tell them the things that we've identified and things that we think might enhance them and then let them work it out. One thing we don't like to do is confuse our guys. We, we have trust in guys like you, Corey, and guys like Cameron. There's a number of great teachers that, that we've been blessed with that are, you know, that have come along with our, our players. And you have to trust them. And I do. And I know that, that their best interest is our best interest because we have a common interest. And that is that a Jordan Spieth or a Cody Gribble or a Dylan Fratelli play good golf and be happy. And, yeah. and, and truth be known, with a guy like Jordan Spieth, if he's playing great golf, he's happy. If he's not, then there's a lot of frustration there, and and that's just the competitor in him. Same with Cody Gribble, same with Dylan Fratelli, same with Brandon and Stone. So it's a daily wonderful ascent to the top, and, and we're always trying to get to the top. You talk about qualifying, you talk about events, there's a lot of opportunities to kind of experience pressure in college golf. And what maybe some people don't know is that you're you're walking along on the golf course with players and you're spending that time. So you have the ability to get in there in the heat of action where the pressure is happening. And I'm curious, just what are the strategies that you use during that time? And, and maybe something that listeners can, can get a tip out of dealing with that pressure, kind of what your goals and objectives are and, and trying to alleviate some of that or help a player deal with that more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, you usually have five players playing in a golf tournament. So you're counting the four best scores on a daily basis. And whether it's a 54-hole tournament or like the NCAA, a 72-hole medal play tournament plus the match play, you've got five players and the four best players are counting or the four best scores are counting. So you only have two coaches, so you can do a lot of things. You could stand on a par three, you could observe all all of them, or you might discern down that, that it would be beneficial if you walked with a particular player. Now, why would you do that? Because if you're walking with a particular player, and maybe your assistant's walking with another player, like a caddy, we don't carry the club because the NCAA won't let you do that, but but you're doing everything else like a caddy making calls, making, giving yardages, uh, discussing situations, so on and so forth. But why would you do that? And maybe you can't walk with everybody. Well, here's the reason. If you have five guys and over the course of the season, coaches kind of get in a rhythm and the team kind of gets in a rhythm. So they know what to expect. But why would I walk with Bo Hosler? Well, 
he, as it turns out, becomes my number one player. So I, I kind of walked with him for at least a year and a half, almost two at the end of his career. So we had a lot of tournaments under our belts, a lot of victories under our belt. And the reason I say us is because I was right in the middle of it with him. But what that does, that not only helps enhance Bo's game, if at the beginning of the day, you know Coach Fields is walking with Bo and that he's going to average between 68 and 71 on a hard golf course, well, then the other four guys can kind of take a chill pill because you know that guy's there. Sure. Same with Jordan Spieth, same with Cody Gribble, same with Bobby Hudson years ago. And the reason you do that is because, you're yes, you're trying to help Bo Hostler but you're working to help the other four guys because they can have confidence that I'm with him and I'm going to, you know, that, that that is absolutely going to help the team. And it's, it's going to give them a little bit more confidence and a little more relaxation, which is going to allow them to play better golf because they're a little bit more relaxed because they know it's not just on them that day. And then we do a lot of different things. We, we have a meeting before the tournament, after we've done the practice round. In the hotel room, we'll go over the golf course and go over kind of individually how each player is going to play a hole. We don't tell them how to do it. We just want to know that they have a plan. And then after the first round, we'll kind of digest what had just happened with another meeting, not a long one, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Compliment them if they played well. Talk about why we didn't play well if we made mistakes. And then we'll do the same thing after the second round. We'll And then after we're done like, for instance, we just got back from Minnesota, and this morning we had fitness, but I talked about the tournament that we just played, and I told them how proud I was of them and what they had done this week. And we had a guy named Stephen Cherboni that had his personal best, finished third in the tournament. And without Cole Hammer and Spencer Seussman, we almost won the golf tournament. We lost by three to Oklahoma. That's going to be the number one team in the country. So I hope we have a lot of balance in our program. It's not just one way. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm looking for. I love our guys. I can tell you that. Well, and let's talk about the team that you have now because that, that's another piece that I want to talk to you about is you've got a younger team now. You've got a few of the, I guess, what, four or five freshmen on this team? Well, we do. The three that are going to play a lot this year are Parker and Pearson Cootie and, and Cole Hammer. Yeah. So we've got and an And the blessing of those three guys is that they're all seriously competitive. They'll have tremendous national experience they have all enjoyed success and they have a tremendous confidence about themselves and i'm not going to get in their way yeah but there is a, a necessary kind of step in that as you you get three young kids or however many but the three that are going to play acclimated to college life being a student athlete there's a level of support that you're providing as coach and i, I think that it's relevant to not only those three but our players that are have ambition to play college golf and those that are just in the early stages of that the important elements of of making that transition a successful one and kind of what your role is and and, and making sure that it is well i th- i think if you ask any one of the three right now and you ask them and said coming to texas do you, is there anything that you think Coach Fields won't do for you to help make you a better player? It'd be fun to ask him that question. Yeah, right. I think the answer would be there's probably not anything he wouldn't do to try to help me. They know that there's a love there already that's between us and, and that I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Without a doubt, there will not be one stone that goes unturned between now and the end of their career here at Texas that, that won't 
allow them to be a tour player. I want them to be tour players. So there's going to be everything that I can do. If they're not feeling good about something, we're going to get to the bottom of it. If they're struggling, we're going to work on it. If they are unhappy for some reason, we're going to find out why. I don't let things sit. I love our guys. I want them to be healthy, happy, and I want them to create success for themselves and give themselves the best opportunity. And in the end, just like you, Corey, and just like Cameron, you want to see those guys out there performing on the PGA Tour and winning golf tournaments and playing on Ryder Cup teams and winning major championships. That's my goal for them. Let's take a a different look at that because yeah, that's definitely our goal. And I know that the three guys that you're talking about, that's their goal. And in your, your vast experience where you've coached some really good players, you know, Cameron, and there's actually a, a research paper that, that looks at some Olympians and they, one would be categorized as super champs, these, these successful young athletes that then went along to achieve their goal. And then in another category is almost these players that had really incredible potential and showed signs of, uh, that they were going to be successful in their sport at early on, but for whatever reason, didn't get there. And I know it's impossible to coach for 20 years without having encountered that at some point. So in looking back, especially as you're trying to formulate a game plan and a, and a roadmap for those three players, are there anything that you can identify as a, as a really key differentiator between those kids that achieved it and then those that just kind of just fell short or they were almost there and didn't quite kind of get to the finish line? Yeah, I, I think there's always, you don't have to be totally complete to be out on the PGA Tour, but I I tell our guys from time to time that uh, if you look down the line, let's say you're at a PGA Tour event and you're on the driving range and you're watching the guys swing the golf club and you can point to those guys and you can say, okay, why are they here? What's special about that guy? And when you look at maybe a journeyman professional golfer that has not won on the PGA Tour He's got maybe one or two things that are special about him. Maybe he drives the golf ball great. Maybe he chips it great, but maybe he's not as good with his irons or something. If you look at a guy that's won on the PGA Tour, you might see a guy that's got two or three things that are really special. Maybe he drives it well, maybe he putts it well, and maybe his wedges are just significant. Then you look at a guy that, that's won multiple times, and there might be three or four things that are great. Maybe... Maybe they're prodigiously long and they, you know, they're, they're great with their wedges and they're a great putter and they think well out on the golf course. And then you get to the major champion and now you're getting more into a refined place where they might have five, six or seven things that are special. And I think those guys are the ones that don't have limits in their minds for some reason. I can't tell you why, because I would love to just bottle that up and give it to anybody that that i could but for some reason they don't have limits on their dreams and so for instance if you look at a major champion let's just take lee trevino why would a guy that is five foot six or five foot seven that grew up poor be able to win six major championships and beat jack nicholas in a playoff how can how can that happen right and yet he did it because he believed he could do it he did it He was a great ball striker. He was a great putter. He was a great iron player. He navigated around the golf course. 
his confidence level was high. He was a United States Marine and he, he walked down the fairway like he owned the place. And yet he's Lee Trevino that grew up poor. Yeah. And then you, you get a guy like Jordan Spieth. Why, why does he think that he could win major championships? <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure, but I know one thing for sure. He thinks he can. And I think that, you know, for instance, this year, there's a level of frustration for him right now because, because he didn't have the kind of year. But watch out for next year because he's dreaming big. And he'll reset that calendar and figure out exactly what he needs to do. And I know he'll get help from Cameron and, and his team. And, and it won't surprise me that they might go out and have some sensational year. Yeah. Well, before I, before I talked to Bo in our podcast, I called you and I asked you to tell me something about him that might help me kind of draw some good conversation out. And what you told me was that from the, from the minute that you met him, that Bo had an uncommon confidence just about him, that he just kind of had this belief, this self-belief, and just kind of selfishly as a coach, I'm asking this question, do you think that's innate or do you think that's something that can be developed, whether that be through the supporting elements of parents or coaches, or do you think that's something that's just it's either there or it's not? I think some kids, for some reason, like a Ben Crenshaw, are blessed with it. It's like it's almost like you're a savant. Yeah. And then there's there's guys like Kramer Hickok that are so driven that like for instance in, in Kramer's world one of his real talents is his love for the game and his love for practice so he's willing to do whatever it takes to get him where where he's going to go um, that's a talent and not everybody has that plus he's also willing to listen he you know of course he lived with Jordan and I know he took every ounce of every little tidbit yeah. that Jordan threw at him and and it's manifesting itself right now into a guy who's going to go on to the PGA Tour, and who knows what's going to happen. The thing that Kramer told us was hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, which is yeah, just beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also say that uh, all those things come into play. I, I think you can find your way there if you have the true desire. And then you can, but but there are those that, that like a Fred Couples, that just, just has so much this abundance of everything that that he maybe doesn't have to do as much as the the next guy. Right. You just don't know. And I, I look at the difference between Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw is night and day. Tom Kite dug it out of the dirt and developed his own confidence and created his own persona. Ben Crenshaw was born with it, I think. Right. I don't know why, but he he is, and he's a happy person. Yeah. I know that it's common that with those major champions. They, they have a belief that, that is uncommon and, uh, and a confidence that's uncommon. Yeah. And I look for it. And every once in a while you see it. And I, and I will say this, the great football coach here at Texas was Daryl Royal, and he simply called it it. <laughs> and that was, that guy's got it. And that somebody pe might ask Coach Royal, well, how do you get it? And he said, I have no idea, but that guy's got it. Well, but uh, th my question there is, because one of our red flags was like maybe a selfishness or, or maybe not having respect for the game. And there's this, there's a thin line between that crazy confidence that you're talking about and maybe what appears to be arrogance or cocky. So if, if I'm a junior and I'm listening to this and I know that I need to develop this kind of confidence, how do I make sure that I'm not going too far? Or is there a way to, to kind of balance that out? Especially as you're from your perspective as a coach and looking at potential recruits. I think you find somebody who really knows the game 
and not be afraid to ask him really pertinent questions. Like, what do you think about me? What's, what's right about me? What's wrong about me? And if there's something wrong about me, how, how can I change that? But I, I think a lot of times some kids are so selfish, they're not willing to listen to anybody. And, and that's why sometimes when a guy gets to grow up around a tour player or two or maybe a, a coach like Jackie Burke or something, a, a professional like Jackie Burke, who's going to tell you the truth if you ask him the question, that's probably how you can find out. Right. But, most people don't want to ask those questions. They think they got all the answers anyway, so, so they're not going to ask the questions. A combination between that confidence and that coachability or, or willingness yeah. to learn and, and kind of yeah. seek, seek support. Well, cool. Uh, yeah. One last question. If you're going to yeah. give some advice to a young player that's looking for the right college team, the right fit, the right coach, or they're just looking to be noticed by you know what, what their top choices would be, what's the advice that you give those kids? I would say you, you go out and be competitive and uh, recognize that if, you, if you're winning, if you're a fully exempt player on the AJGA Tour, if you, if you are uh, playing in the invitationals on the AJGA Tour, m- remember Doug Gim did that, and he, had, he was uh, a lower income. He, he was using the ACE grants with the AJGA Tour. He's an ACE grants recipient. So for people to say, well, I don't have the money to do that. I can't get out there and do those things. Well, you're not looking hard enough then because all you got to do is contact the AJGA tour and they'll help you. But you still got to bring game. You have to get out there and show that you can do things. And um, Doug Gim ended up being the Ben Hogan Award winner last year. He never had a car while he was here at Texas. And he was an ace grant guy. And yeah. now he's he's getting ready to get out there, and he is seriously good. Yeah, I saw him. He's off to a good start playing some European Tour events. Right. Yeah. Well, Coach, I, I kind of look back at my five years working at UT Golf Club. Like I think a lot of your players look back at it and very fondly and appreciative of everything that you do. And so I appreciate you spending a little time. I know that we're going to be cheering hard, especially for Cole. Is there anything that we need to look out for? How do we follow Texas golf in the coming season here? Well, you can go to Texas Golf Twitter. Cool. We post on that all the time. That's either about our professionals or how our team is doing right then and there. You can follow us on at texassports.com. And hopefully you can go to golfstat.com when, when it's appropriate. Look at our tournaments and see how the guys are doing hole by hole. And uh, we appreciate that, Corey. And I appreciate you. And I, I think everybody here at University of Texas Golf Club is proud of what you're doing. Well, thanks, man. Coach, thank you very much for the time. We're going to be cheering hard for you guys this year and the years to come. Thank you. Book them horns. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. 